This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. You can reach me at mhs at altamontenterprise.com. I'm talking to Patricia C. Bischoff. As an adult, she sat in a room in her mother's house crying. Her mother, Ruth, had her life shattered by the Nazis. Her father, Henry, had been a prisoner at Dachau. They both survived the Holocaust and left Europe for the United States, where they met, married, and raised four children. Patricia was the oldest, but she knew nothing of her parents' past. She pieced together what she could and over the course of ten years wrote Memoir of a 2G, Story of Secrecy and Resilience. Many of us, including myself, may not be familiar with the phrase 2G. Can you just tell us what that is? Sure. I would be honored and happy to do that, Melissa. Yes. Uh, 2G is a designated uh, title to someone who is called second generation, meaning second generation that my parents or parents were in the Holocaust, a parent or both parents were in the Holocaust. So I'm the second generation here. Yes, and both of your parents were certainly swept up in, in that horrible, horrible time. So what made you decide to write a book about it? Well, I have to honestly say, I think it's a God thing. Uh, If I had uh, talked to you 15 years ago and you had said to me, Patricia, you're going to write a book, I would say, huh? What happened was uh, later in life, I finally finished my degree. I went to Prescott College and uh, I, I did very well. I got all these A's on papers, which were quite unusual because when I went to Russell Sage and Albany Junior College, I did not get those kind of marks. And uh, I remember I started uh, on the computer putting down different scenarios, facts, didn't have many facts, but just a lot of scenarios and stories of my life. And I remember that I, around 20, 20 pages I'd sent to the librarian at Prescott College and I asked her her, uh, her point of view, and she said to me in an email, just keep writing. So I kept writing and writing, and it took me 10 years to write my book. And I just, it, it's just a God thing. And what I also recognize today, I don't know why I'm alive, but I do know why I'm alive, and that I just had to tell my story to make it truthful, because there's so much Written, not so much, but there's some things written that this never occurred. The Holocaust never occurred. Well, I can tell you it occurred. And uh, my father was, uh, you know, he was incarcerated, imprisoned in Dachau concentration camp. And my mother had to leave Europe and uh, never saw her, her mother or her family again. So you asked me why I wrote my book. It just... I just started writing and I culminated into what is now a memoir of a 2G, Story of Secrecy and Resilience. Well, it's just remarkable throughout the book. Um, you really get a sense of 
this mission you were on, this search, because neither of your parents would talk about their past. And right from the very beginning of the book, um, you put, you say, we all need connections to our past. And you went on such a remarkable search. Did the genealogy uh, search come about because you were writing the book? Or is that something that you had been striving to find out on your own? And then it it just kind of melded into the narrative in the book. Thank you for asking that question, Melissa. Um, I'm a very inquisitive gal. And even when I was being brought up, when I asked questions when I was little, my mother would say not now or later. And then people would use me because I'm always asking questions. Well, because I was so curious about what happened. I was so, and still am, because there's still a lot of information I don't know. Um, I was just so curious that I, I would do, I would write letters to Israel. I would write letters to Munich. I would write letters to uh, Poland. And I also went to New York City from Tucson and, and would just do a lot of research at the historical center and try to find out what went on. You know, what am I, where do I come from? What is my heritage? Because none of that was informed in my family. I mean, my father said nothing. And my mother, in fact, I think I have that in my book. When I would ask her a question, she said, not now, later. And of course, later later never came other than when she did her uh, interview with the Shoah, with Steven Spielberg's Shoah. So I was always wondering, you know, I, I would hear, you know, my peers or children tell me, you know, share in a classroom about what went on in their family. And here I was, a gal, I had no grandparents because they were murdered and I had no extended family. I had a few cousins, but we were we were distant from them, really. And um, so I just I just did a search and I just kept searching. I even went to New York City and I found I found out where my parents had lived and I even went to each building and one building the person actually let me into their building into their apartment where one of my parents lived. So it, it makes it somewhat more concrete and not as abstract in my mind. No, it becomes very vivid. And you mentioned the Shoah Foundation, which until I read your book, I was not even aware of. And what a remarkable um, foundation that is. In 1994, it was founded by Steven Spielberg because he was filming Schindler's List and he heard the stories of survivors and decided that they needed to be recorded. And so your book, I think that's one of the most moving um parts of your book. Um, you describe yourself, you know, having set up this interview and your mother who had never talked about this, um, you know, got out, you called them props, I think, a doll from her childhood and other things. And you listened in another room as um, she was filmed doing this interview and cried just hearing hearing her story. Um, can you just kind of recap? It's in the appendix in your book, but can you kind of just recap for us what what that story is? 
Well, well, uh, thank you for the question. Uh, I mean, it's very in depth. It's just my mother. I know more about you, and you know more about me than I know that my mother really didn't know about me, and I didn't know about my mother. If that makes any sense, that kind of answer. Meaning, my mother would not or did not divulge to me. I don't know about my siblings, but did not divulge to me about who she was and who she is. And. Um, when I when it was suggested that I have to be in the other room while they do the interview, which makes sense because they didn't want a distraction from their questioning my mother, and it's just different pieces that she just shared. She, I, you know, what I think it is, it was coming close to the end of her life, and I think she finally let go, and I think she finally felt secure, knowing it was you know through Steven Spielberg and wasn't just anybody and she wanted to be on record what the truth was or what the truth is and I mean there's you know to give any examples off the top of my head right now I don't know any but it's just just her being able to answer questions when she really never would even answer a simple question that I asked when I was growing up it just was it was strange. I mean, the longer I live, I find it was strange, but I also find it's not unusual from children born to Holocaust survivors. You know, why would a parent or parents want to pass down this horrid situation of negativity to their children? They, they want, you know, peace, comfort, and happiness. But as we grow older, you know, I want to know. I wanted to know things. And... I still want to know things, you know, but yeah, no, it, it left a, the way you recounted, it left just a gaping hole in your life. And it becomes so clear when you tell things from a child's point of view, like at one point you write about how you came back from Girl Scout camp and for the first time you realized your parents had accents because, you know, that was your norm. That was what you, that was your home. And you hadn't, it hadn't registered. But this story that your mother told, it, it starts with this idea of this sheltered childhood. Her family had a hops business in that area that was Polish and German back and forth. And, um, you know, it seemed like a happy life, although maybe a little lonely. But then um, with the Nazis, uh, it's there's just so many brutal descriptions in there. And, um, you know, uh, the, her idea, her mother's idea, she, her mother says she was going to send her, your mother, to the United States Everybody smiles, her mother said. People don't work. They just have money. Um, this idea of America is a place that everybody smiled and, and she would be sent there. And um, she made that journey uh, 10 days on, a, on an ocean liner. And um, but then, too, even with your father, it seemed like there was such... Uh, sadness there. She said in that interview that, you know, you transcribe in the appendix, Henry, that's her husband, didn't want any children, no more Jewish children, but I liked babies. I mean, that's just so sad. Um, 
I just, and then there's the part with Louis Ismay where she's saying that Henry, her husband, com- confided in Louis Ismay about Dachau. And she says they made him be to death a gay person or a gypsy, even less than a Jew. Um, and later in your book, you describe this practice of people at Dachau being forced to stand in a circle and stone someone to death. And if they didn't, they themselves would be killed. And it, it's just such a such a horrible thing to read about and think about. But um, she also... She also says in that interview, I thought I could make Henry alive. I never could. You know, the sense that she couldn't awaken her own husband to happiness. Um, What were you going to say? I'm sorry. Well, I I don't remember. But, uh, yeah, I mean... You know, their their spirits in a way was broken, but on the other hand, you know, they they, they were survivors. Um, I mean, they came to this country and they did the best they could. And, um, you know, my mother was very well known in the Albany area. And my father had a, uh, a store on, on Pearl Street, Albany Fabric Center. And, um, you know, he, he, he just... You know, he, he seemed, I mean, from the perspective of an adult as I am now, he seemed like so many times he wasn't present. But I, I, I comprehend that today because psychology being my major, and not saying I know it all, but I understand why and how he acted. You know, it gives me some perspective as an adult what why he was the way he was and, and why my mother was the way she was. My mother was the stronghold in the family, as everyone will know. <laughs> and um, she was, so to speak, the breadwinner and um, the, the one that I believe kept the family together in the sense of, you know, what is right, what is not right. I mean, my mother was very, very, very strict. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm glad that today, I'm glad that I have the perspective of what is right and what is wrong, you know, unlike what's going on in society today, but I don't want to get off on that tangent. But, uh, you know, my, my mother uh, was one who instilled what, what was to be accepted in our family and not, and, uh, and, you, better, and you better abide by it or else, you know, up in your room. <laughs> so... Yeah, it was it was an interesting life when I look back at it. But sometimes I just felt lost um, because I, I was very dissimilar to my peers in school. You know, whether it was a Nassau Elementary School or Albany High, I just sometimes I couldn't relate. Sometimes even today I can't even relate. If you really want to know the truth, <laughs> that's a story for another day. No, you describe that very well. You describe often uh, feeling lost or feeling different than others. And, um, you know, your mother would make your clothes, but she wanted to make sure you didn't wear anything that revealed your shape. Um, And just also her strictness with language. Here she spoke all these languages. How marvelous. Um, But, uh, you know, 
I didn't even understand the part about not using she or he. <laughs> it was she said something like that's her cow. I, I didn't even quite under. Um, uh, my mother. I was not allowed to say look at her. I was I was allowed to say look at Susan or look at Melissa. And my mother would say she's in the stable. It says moo. Don't ask me. But she said. I mean, what I understand is you don't use a pronoun. You use someone. It's more. What I understand today, it's, it's more formal than to say her or she or whatever. I see. A proper and, name. And, yeah, because in, mm. in the, from, from my perspective, I, had, I was not allowed to speak in slang or um, I had to be specific in how I talked. And, and so many times I was so scared. That's why I was so introverted. I wouldn't say anything. And unlike today, <laughs> I mean, I found my voice. And I found my voice, you know, with writing and with art. And, um, yeah, you know, we, we, we find ourselves when we find ourselves. And some people don't. And God bless them. But, uh, you know, I just, I, because of my inquisitiveness and because of my journey, you know, we're just one thing ran into the other. And uh, here I am today talking to you all. And, yeah. uh, I mean, I would never have thought in the wildest dreams that I'd be doing something like this, but it's a joy. Well, it's just the things that you persisted in finding out about your parents. Um, like the part where you describe, you know, how the Germans kept all these records, so you were able to actually see, and I, I can't remember the German word for it, um, but you translated it is the reason your father was sent to Dachau with this brutal arrest was because he was a race defiler, I think is how you translated right, the right. German word. Yeah. And meaning yes. he meaning that he had had a relationship with an Aryan woman. And um, I mean, what was it like for you to unearth these pieces of your parents? Because he had died young of a heart attack. And you wrote you were just getting to an age where you were starting to be able to kind of talked to him and yeah, yeah. then he, he died um, when you were so young but what was it like for you to find these pieces of their past how how did it, it's, a, it's a good question thank you Melissa uh, I, I was in search and I was in, you know I kept writing at the time um, I, I wrote letters many times because the computer wasn't around well, maybe it was, maybe. Um, I did this for about 20 years. In fact, you know, I put things together and sent it to my siblings. When I say things, some information. For one, I, I was able to find out my father's, num my, my father's number, 8048. Uh, you know, every uh, inmate or every prisoner had a number. And uh, I wanted to know what my what my father's number was, and I guess it just would substantiate. I don't know. What what happens when I would get a letter from Europe? You know, it, it's not like a, an email. You get a response maybe in the same day or the next day. But when I would write a letter, it would take two, three, or four weeks, and I was so excited to find out, wow, here's another piece of the puzzle. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah I, I was curious to find out what happened. And, and, and the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. was very, very helpful also. Uh, I was able to get uh, information from them. And uh, one of it was, you know, how did my father land in, in, in Dachau? You know, what, I mean, what happened? 
So the best that we can come up with is that, yes, he's a race defiler, that a Jew was not allowed to mix with a Gentile. And uh, insane. I mean, it's, so he, he evidently had a relationship with a, an Aryan woman. And because of that, you know, that's where he was. And he was, he was young. He was 22. I, I, I get mixed up. He, he was incarcerated um, in 1935, and um, he, he um, got out in 37. He was in, in, in Dachau for 22 months. And, you know, I, I, I make an example, like when I teach, I'll say, if I, if I were, you know, put against my will in a closet for an hour, what, what repercussions would I have? And to think that someone would have incarcerated 22 months, it, it certainly had some effect on my father. And that's how I'm able to put that all together and understand how and why he was what he was. And he was a very beautiful, very classy man, by the way, and a very, very European. And uh, he just, he, he was very well liked. It's just he, he wouldn't talk much, you know. But my mother made up for that. <laughs> well, also, he retained his love of Germany, which is surprising. You said he loved the German music and painting and was a, a painter himself, an artist, and um, he just retained this love of Germany despite what the Nazis had had done to him. Yes, and, and from some research that I have been able to research or come get information, that wasn't unusual. He, uh, for a German Jew, they, they had... They, they love Germany. I, I don't understand it, uh, but uh, he, my, both my parents never went back to Europe, by the way. Now, his sister, my aunt, she would go back to Germany, if not every other year, I don't know, every three or four years, something like that. And if it were me, I, I mean, I couldn't even say if it were me. It, 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 there's this love and this culture out of Munich I guess similar maybe to New York City to people and um, my parents and, and my aunt also were very, well, I don't want to, my, my parents were very cultured in that I was brought up with opera every Sunday and I was never allowed to listen to, to rock and roll or jazz or anything like that. And, um, yeah, you have a you have a chapter in your book where I think it's after a Girl Scout meeting, you are in your friend's home and in her bedroom and she has like Elvis Presley posters on the wall and these are all like new and unusual for you. It's just Oh my God. Yeah. I I remember the woman I mean I'm not gonna say her I remember the woman actually I've been trying to find her even on I've been trying to research her, but uh, when I I would after in Girl Scouts, I would go to her house, and then my father would pick me up on the way home uh, from Albany to where we lived. And I remember I was in her her, her bedroom, you know, late, and I just I mean it was like going to another world. That's all I can say. Elvis Presley, like who is this? I mean, yeah. I just I didn't have that ex I didn't have that exposure. Uh, like my peers, uh, you know, with, with the culture that was the culture of the time. And um, I imagine there were a lot of reasons for that, you know. And, uh, but uh, 
it, it, it was it was striking. Even I mean, I'm smiling now. It was striking, and I remember yeah. that moment. It was <laughs> like wow. Yeah. Well, well, I probably didn't voice yeah. it very well. I just in my mind, I'm saying like what. You know, where if, I, if, if it would have been a peer of mine, you know, they would have understood, but I had no clue. <laughs> well, you're the oldest of four children. I wonder how your siblings have reacted to your book. Um, did, did they feel like they learned things about your parents, their parents as well? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um one sibling uh, was very interested in it, and the others that they, they don't talk about things. So it's um, that's all I can say. Well, going back to the Shoah Foundation, um, you know, I was trying to find out more about it. It's such a great organization, and thanks to you, I, I discovered it. But I went on the website there, and they have. Um, quite a, a striking statement about the current war with Russia invading the Ukraine. Uh, the Shoah Foundation writes, we are deeply disturbed by Russian President Vladimir Putin's call to, quote, denazify Ukraine, a country with a Jewish president who lost family members in the Holocaust, and by his unfounded claim that the military incursion was justified as a, quote, by genocide in Ukraine. And they're saying we must call out and educate against Holocaust distortion and the toxic language so often used to foment violence and undermine democracy. And I just felt like having read your book, this kind of put that front and center with the current war. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think in the beginning of the podcast with, with you, Melissa, um, which is Altamont Enterprise, um, the reason I wrote, the reason that I, I continue to like do a podcast or do a lecture is to, to put value to what happened to my family that in truth, the Holocaust didn't happen. I find it intriguing how even some educators, and I mean educators, PhDers, they deny the Holocaust. And I am on this earth to tell you, and to continue to say to people, it happened. I mean, I don't know what more to say other than, you know, I'm the child of a Holocaust, Holocaust survivor. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a Tucci, and um, th- that, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> well, and it's told, it's told, you told your story very well. I mean, it, it just, uh, it almost defies belief just from a child's point of view, living in a household with two people who you love, your parents, but unable to sort of crack into who they are. Um, and then as an adult going on this search where you find these pieces. But what struck me about that statement I just read was this idea that uh, Russia, Putin right now, would be using the language as if Ukraine had Nazis. You know, it seems like it almost cheapens 
what your parents went through with real Nazis, um, you know, what that experience was like, um, what an actual genocide was like. Um, and, you know, the Shoah Foundation is, is calling that out so that it, it doesn't, that language doesn't get used to describe something that's not that. Although certainly there are genocides going on um, in the world. And in fact, it's being investigated now by an international tribunal whether what Russia is doing to Ukraine is a genocide. But um, I just, you know, wondered if you felt any kind of anger or any any emotions at all in, in you know, hearing that terminology used where it isn't actually appropriate. Well, what happens is a lot of times language gets distorted. That's what I want to say. And um, I also want to make clear that the Shoah Foundation is now through the University of uh, Southern California. It, it's go, it goes through that right now. But um, what happens sometimes is that people will use... It's not only, you know, in my situation, but people who use words incorrectly and they oftentimes don't understand what they're saying. I mean, they, they think they understand, but they don't. Mm -hmm. And uh, they might either cheapen the situation or misconstrue the situation. And that, again, that is why I wrote my book. Uh, this is the, this is what happened, and I mean I'm the offspring of someone who lives in Dachau, so it's it's not my imagination or it's not stretched in my imagination, but this is the truth. And yeah. I also, which I, I'd like to say, uh, something my mother gave me, and I guess I say I guess because I'm the responsible oldest daughter. Uh, she gave me a piece of document that is quite unusual because I've done research on that. And the document, written in German with a swastika on it, is the document that released my father from Dachau. So if that isn't proof enough, <laughs> you know, on top of it all, you know, because people, some people say that this never happens. And uh, but to, uh, I'm deviating from your question. You know, it doesn't matter what times of, of our centuries, people will misconstrue words and they will they will use them incorrectly, and that's maybe what's happening now. So, who should read this book, and how can people buy this book? Okay, I and number one, I don't ever say someone should do it, but if they have the if they have the inclination to learn a little bit more and to maybe understand a little bit more, to maybe educate themselves a little bit more or educate themselves at all. Maybe some people that are listening to this podcast have no clue what, what went on. Um, the, uh, the book may be purchased through either um, Barnes & Noble or Amazon.com. And um, thank you for asking me on that. 
Yeah, and I know you told me you were so happy um, that the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. is now selling the book in its bookstore. Yes, finally. It took me quite a long time, but I guess my... I don't guess. My sales background came through again. <laughs> I just kept at it, and they finally, uh, uh, it, in January, they have it. And, uh, yes, I'm, I'm very pleased. Well, do you have any closing thoughts for us? Uh, well, I just, I just want to thank you and thank your process and thank Altamont Enterprise in Albany for giving me this opportunity to uh, introduce myself and to explain a little bit of who I am and how I came to be who I am. And for that, I am eternally grateful and thank you.